0: Security, the podcast from cybersecurity leader ESET. I'm Ransom Burkett.
1: And I'm Tony Anscombe.
0: All right. And with the fall school year getting ready to begin, and in some areas it already has, on this episode, we're going to be discussing what going back to school means for the millions of students who are returning to virtual classrooms. Now, since the pandemic ended some school years early, it left the government and states scrambling to find solutions to keep learning going. And with districts providing laptops for students, one county in California is providing free internet access to students. Tony, what do you know about this?
1: Well, there are a number of ways that schools and districts are dealing with this new normal. Uh, in fact, maybe we should stop calling it new normal. Maybe it's just normal now. Yeah. Um, but in my region, so I'm as you know, I'm up in the Bay Area, uh, San Jose and at and have partnered to bring eleven thousand, yeah, and that's eleven thousand hotspots and four G LTE plans to K through twelve students of low income households uh, who don't have or lack high speed internet connectivity. What they're doing is quite interesting. I hope it sparks others to follow suit, which I'm sure it has. In fact, if you if you start scouring the internet, you'll find some stories from other regions too. But for the 2020 and 2021 school year, they're going to make 3,000 hotspots available for 90-day checkout through public libraries as well for those students. Now, as you know, Ransom, I I typically work from home uh, when even in normal times. And actually, I love going to the public library and hanging out there to do my work, especially if I need to be writing something. It's a great place. Take a cup of coffee in. Yeah, we have a brand new $25 million library here in Half Moon Bay that's got all the facilities so you can sit in there comfortably sit down and do some work and at three o'clock or two three o'clock you need to be out of there because the library fills up with with kids coming from the immersion school across the road they come in check out laptops and start doing their studies and doing their homework and prep which is great so actually seeing the public library system get involved in this as well checking out these these items is is awesome uh, but and I know it's not the only district that's forging partnerships of this type. In fact, I read a story yesterday that Nashville has a similar program, uh, wow. which is also. Awesome. And I should point out that people might be thinking, "Well, there's no there's no low-income families in the Bay Area." Let me tell you. Let me just address that one. I live on the coast side, and fifty percent of the population where I live are Hispanic and work uh, in agriculture. So, we all know, unfortunately, that's a low income part of part of the world so uh, we actually have our problems up here too yeah
0: sure no that's that's completely understandable but I think that's awesome that the issues around connectivity are actually being addressed for the students um, but that begs the question you mentioned something about laptops what about the hardware itself um, tell me about your Chromebooks for example
1: well, there's a lot of data out there about low-income families and not being able to fund laptops or connectivity. And, in fact, I looked up some statistics from Pew Research, a survey back in 2018 showed that households with an income below 30K are not well-connected. In fact, only 56% of them have home broadband. Now, that means we're 44% don't have home broadband, which is clearly a disadvantage for, for students living in those house, uh, households. So COVID... It, is likely to have been a huge challenge for certain sectors of the community because of this uh you you go to distance learning and suddenly if your child doesn't have a laptop doesn't have connectivity then we're you're in a really disadvantaged spot and how do you actually one entertain your child during the day but also make sure they're learning something too well, the positive news is that many districts are providing loan equipment to students to get them through these times. So as you just mentioned, Chromebooks. So like Chromebooks is a is a great example because they're low cost and they're online devices. So for two, three hundred dollars, the school district can provide one to a to a student. Now that's still obviously a lot of money per student, big classes, et cetera. But there are some very generous people out there. And I'm gonna call out one of them, Jack Darcy, the founder of Twitter. Uh, heard a ra- on a radio show the mayor of Oakland in the East Bay talking about that she, I think it was 25,000 students she estimated didn't have the right connectivity or laptops. And this was back in uh, March, April time. Now, within a few hours of that plea on the radio, he donated $10 million to the Oakland Unified School District to provide internet access and laptops to school children who didn't have either. Well, so There's that's that's some, really, some really generous stuff going on out there.
0: That, that's a great move, and I think it should be applauded. I mean, Jack Dorsey stepping up to the plate and donating that to a region after hearing what they would need is just fantastic. And I think having access to the Internet is similar to having access to other utilities like, such as power, water, and gas. But providing students with the necessary tools to conduct distance learning is essential to keeping them engaged in the new digital classrooms. So do you know if the Wi-Fi hotspots come with restrictions or maybe even instructions for the children? For example, like how do they stay safe when connecting or maybe a a list of best practices or how do they shape this whole thing so that their kids can can have a safe um, learning environment?
1: Well, the school districts themselves have acceptable usage policies for students. So when they're handing out a laptop or they're handing out a Wi-Fi spot, I assume they're still getting the parent and the child to sign up to an acceptable usage policy. In fact, that's a really good question. I'm going to fire back at you in just a moment, yeah. Manson. And I'm going to give you time to think about this while I answer yeah. the rest of your question. Yeah, sure. Have you signed the acceptable usage policy for your son's school? Because I think a lot of parents don't understand that they've also signed it. Mm-hmm. when they've sent their child there. But anyway, a comprehensive usage policy will include how to behave, so what's termed as netiquette, the etiquette of behaving correctly on the internet, um, not breaching copyright, mm-hmm. yes, yeah. no, not downloading and uh, movies and music that are illegal. Uh, and when people ask me particularly about copyright, yeah, well, is, is it harmful to download a few music tracks or a movie? Well, yes, it's theft. mm mm-hmm. Because if your child becomes the movie star, and then they don't earn any money being a movie star because nobody pays for the movies, you're going to be a hacked off parent. So actually, copyright is pretty important. But the policy will also talk about inappropriate use, misuse, harassment, and many other yeah many many other issues will be in there as well. And having the student and the parents sign up to this shouldn't be just a complacent, can you sign here? It should be, please read this and make sure you've understood it because you're signing an agreement that your child is going to behave correctly and as a a student that you're going to behave correctly. But I also wonder whether schools are suggesting that the parent has an acceptable usage policy for homeschooling because a lot of that acceptable usage policy is on the network, on the school network. You're not going to hack the password server or whatever it might be in the school. But now you're at home, does the same policy apply? And I'm kind of curious of whether any parents out there have come up with their own homeschool policy agreement for acceptable use of technology and how to learn on, on the internet. So if you have, yeah, please reach out to us because I'd love to talk to you.
0: Yeah, that's a great point. And to your first question, yes, I have read the policy for, for my son's school who went back uh, just over two weeks ago. And it's 100% fully remote learning. Um, At the beginning of the year, they provide actually prior to the beginning of the year, they did provide that acceptable use and netiquette uh, guide. So, for example, when uh, conducting schoolwork, whether this uh, was the distance learning uh, lesson of the day or attending Zoom meetings, uh, they had a list of things to do and not do. Um, They also had suggestions for when they do turn in assignments through well a variety of platforms. Right now, one of them is, of course, uh, Google Classroom Um, and what they can and cannot or should not do. So the guidelines have been pretty well thought through by the admin team at my son's school, and I have to say it's pretty comprehensive. And, and from a cybersecurity guy, I think they did a really good job of identifying uh, what the kids um, could be aware of. Now this is a K through six school. I'm sure you know K through twelve or you know high school schools that are separated may um, have some different policies. But I really appreciate them taking the initiative to uh, provide some guidelines for the younger kids. That again, this may be their first time actually doing some remote learning.
1: Well, and it's really important that the school makes sure that you, as a parent, as have you've understood that actually you're responsible as well for your child's action online as well, because they're you know, they're hoping you're going to reinforce that statement with with your, with your your young student at home. Because I know certainly know before all this started, if you talk to most parents and Terence said, "Do you understand that you've probably signed an acceptable usage policy?" Most of them go, "No, I've never signed that." And actually, when you send them off you find out that actually they did when they signed their child up for classes at that, that school. Yeah. Uh, and it's somewhat shocking. So it's good that I think schools are taking this seriously.
0: Yeah, they certainly are. And, I mean, with remote learning being the way that people are attending classes this year, it's the new norm, as we say, or I guess the norm. So I think one of the things maybe these parents uh, could be interested in is learning about how to maintain privacy. You know, I think you were mentioning the acceptable use a program which kind of um, informs the parent and the student of of best practices. But are there ways in which the the student or the parent themselves can ensure uh, that their privacy is maintained while attending uh, classes or or turning in assignments?
1: Well, there's there's several things in there. Um, I I personally believe you you need to keep some sort of structure. Uh, and There's visual privacy. So if you and I were on a video call if that video call involved you it was you were the student and suddenly i can see the movement in your house i can see other things going on yeah do you blur out the background yeah maybe yeah because actually you don't need to see maybe other kids moving around in the background you don't need to see parents moving around in the background either so there's the privacy of the home but the privacy elements of not recording screens of yeah, you know, not taking photographs of screens. In fact, I saw a really amusing picture the other day of a science teacher who was dressed as Doc. Yeah. <laughs> like and I, yeah. You know, that's engaging content. that's engaging content. Yeah. But maybe, you know, what stay what happens in your classroom online should s- kind of stay in your classroom online. So if if the teacher's being a bit funny to be a bit engaging, maybe the teacher doesn't want that picture of then appearing on social media or on chat or whatever. So it's respecting each other. In that area of of social uh, social learning, and remembering that you' know, when you're at home and you're doing your own research onto something, you want to be cautious of where you're going off to get that that information as well. so if a website asks you to sign up, make sure it's a legitimate website, yeah you know, if necessary, go back to the teacher, ask the teacher's opinion
0: yeah. Uh,
1: on whether the website's real. You don't want to be oversharing your information. So there's a lot of privacy considerations in that. Now, one of the things we often talk about as well is Wi-Fi, isn't it? With Wi-Fi, think about this. Now you're on a hotspot, a a hotspot that's been handed to you maybe by the library for 90 days. You can't change the SSID or you can't change your – this is a fixed unit. But in theory, it should be just your unit. So make sure you're not sharing the password with somebody else because they can see the the traffic going through it. And so it's your unit. Make sure it's only yours, or it's yours and the other students in the house that reside with you.
0: Yeah, you bring up a good point there because in many cases it's very easy for these um, students to to want to share, right? Oh, let's you know, let's do homework assignment together. Hey, I brought my Wi-Fi hotspot. Let's all connect, you know. And as you said, it becomes kind of this. Uh, open network at that point, because, you know, they've, they've kind of assumed that once we're online, then, Hey, everything's protected. But as you said, there's a, there's a very, um, strong case for showing them the best practice there. And one of which is, of course, um, as you said, this is your device, make sure that you treat it as such, because uh, having this ubiquitous access for all of your friends uh, might prove a little bit detrimental or maybe, you know, yield some results that they might not want. And they being, of course, the parents and the kids, yeah. um, yeah, so what
1: about, I just want to have one thing, and I think it's actually from a conversation you and I had the other day. Yeah, the conferencing platforms that are out there that are being used for virtual learning, they have they now have very different default features. If you were creating meetings today, if you created meetings way back in three four months ago when all this started, go back and make sure you've secured those features that you're using a password that you're bringing only allowing. The the attendees that you permit into the classroom, etc. Yeah, that thing of Zoom bombing, yeah, yeah, that, that should be gone. Yeah, yeah. That needs to that could, should have gone by now. If somebody's still seeing it, it's because you're not using the right settings.
0: You're absolutely right. So here in San Diego, it made the news two or three days ago, where I believe it was uh, one of the regional schools that was um, just going back um, noted there were two cases of Zoom bombing happening, where you know profanity was used in one, and I believe pornography was shown in the other. So as you said, the Zoom team have really stepped up their security. Now it's incumbent on the teachers and the staff that are you know, holding these meetings to set up the proper uh, passwords and the techniques for access. I think it's and, important.
1: And all the conference vendors, you know, virtual conferencing vendors have done the same. Um, not just Zoom, because we all, uh, unfortunately, the, the Zoom became the Google, didn't it, as we all call yeah. video conferencing Zoom now.
0: Yeah, yeah, right. yeah they, they stepped right up. And, and now you and I are speaking through Teams and, and other platforms, too. But we talk about something that is uh, really helpful to the students, as we were mentioning the Jack Dorsey example with the hardware. And now I think you're mentioning the San Jose example where AT&T in the region have partnered, um, which brings me to a question that I think is pretty valid. Attendance. Right. You know, let's say a child has poor connectivity or is unable to actually connect. How would this be addressed in the digital classroom? I mean, I think the impacts of missing a discussion would affect the ability to learn a particular subject or that topic for the day. I know everyone says, oh, it's like catching up. Well, in distance learning and remote learning, I think it's even more pronounced if you miss because uh, potentially that limited time that you have with the teacher you didn't have, whether that's, you know, connectivity or other but are there actually policies out there that deal with attendance due to poor or no internet connectivity? I'm curious about that.
1: Well, as you know, my wife works at a school, and I think they've had a really good approach to distance learning, especially when I've compared it with other stories I've heard from other educational establishments, even some of them locally here. Mm-hmm. They actually schedule virtual classes for four hours a day. So the, child has to, yeah, the student has to turn up. It has. They have to be there on, on the Zoom call yeah. and they actually have class. So this isn't the teacher setting an assignment and recording a 10-minute video and then sending the link out uh, to that class or giving everybody that assignment for the first 10 minutes and then everybody goes off to the beach and, and comes back and does their prep later on and, and submits it. Yeah. This means you've actually got to sit there. You're going to sit there and work through as though you were in the school building. And I think... That structure is really good. I think it's good for one, the te- teachers and faculty, because it has an element of normal in there. But I think it keeps the kids engaged. Yeah, yeah? I think especially when they're maybe young, slightly younger kids. You know, as kids get older, they're they, they're self more self learning and, and more disciplined around it. But the, certainly, the younger kids actually need that interaction, that human interaction. And I know it's not in person, but even virtually is a pretty good one. Uh, And they actually take um, attendance. So they take an attendance at the start of each of these classes. uh, And the faculty, the admin team, will then, if the student doesn't turn up, will contact the parent and ask the parent why the student wasn't there.
0: Okay, great. So kind of like missing class.
1: Now, I know they've got particular resource, and it's it's a nice school and whatever. But So my point is, it can be done, and I think it can be done pretty effectively, to have it as normal as possible. In that way. So to me, virtual should be viewed just the same as in person.
0: Yeah, I agree. And I and I love that policy of, you know what, just like you missed a cap of class um physically, then hey, we're gonna give your parents a shot just to see if you're okay or is there some reason why you weren't able to attend? And and I actually I, I really applaud that too. So, you know, with the discussion around the items that we just covered, from the laptops to the internet connectivity, and now of course we're talking about virtual classroom and attendance. What does the future look like? What does the future hold, Tony?
1: You're hearing businesses now talking about digital transformation and how COVID has leapt us all forward. Well, I think the same is true of students and schools here as well. So if we went back a year and I turned around and said, well, look, every child in your school district is going to be issued a laptop and they're going to have good connectivity at home to be able to do their work, you'd have laughed and said, no, the school system will never be able to afford to do that. Nobody's going to fund that. Well, we're there, aren't we? Yeah. Uh, Or we're getting there. Yeah. Most of the school districts are stepping up. The connectivity is being fixed. And whether it's a Chromebook, whether it's a PC, or whether you're lucky enough to have a MacBook or, or something, then, you know, most students now are equipped. And actually, this pandemic has been the driver to equip this entire generation. So I think you're now going to see a a set of students, because remember, those devices are going to last, what, three, five years? And once you've handed devices out, let's be clear, you're going to refresh them. Yeah. It's that initial initial big cost of actually equipping students in that way. It's going to happen, and we're going to end up with an entire generation now that one is connected and two – has the facility and the equipment, regardless of their income status or their demographic or where they live or anything like that, and they're gonna have access to connectivity. So we talk about all the negativities of COVID-19 and the scams and the this is a positive story that yeah. comes out of this pandemic.
0: Yeah, yeah, I really think so. And I appreciate you highlighting that. It makes a lot of sense for people to just have a moment and examine what Transformation, whether it's, as you said, with education or even technology and how we communicate, um, has affected society and specifically this next generation of students that are coming in to hopefully develop technologies and go on into other professions. This is going to be something that has lasted them quite a while. So. Um, as you said, I applaud all the efforts that are being done, both in the education system, by technology companies, vendors, uh, and and platform providers. This is, as you said, this is a very big boon to uh, to help people get connected. And as you said, this is transformational. So I really appreciate this.
1: Well, and likewise, I mean, you and I are now both working from home pretty much permanently. As you, as you know, I was already, yeah, yeah. but uh, when I wasn't traveling yeah, back in those days, mm-hmm. um, but if, if you think about it, also, we're showing that this, this generation that actually the workplace is likely to be flexible too because the students are probably at home sitting next to their parents who are also working from home. Yeah. So yeah. We're, all see, we're all seeing how flexible the world just becomes. So I think this is a really bright future, positive happening yeah. uh, from the pandemic that actually in two or three years' time we're going to look back and turn and say, well, this trans- actually transformed the world. And, it, and we can still go to a restaurant and eat something because it will be over by then
0: <laughs> yeah, right. yeah let's definitely hope that can happen soon speaking of having something hey what are you drinking what do you got?
1: well i am i've moved well haven't moved physically but i've moved my taste this week across to boston and i have a samuel adams
0: look at sam adams lager i'm assuming yeah it's his all right good man well i am sticking with southern california here and something just a bit out of Baja. I've got a Pacifico Cerveza here, which is a great beer to have when you're out there enjoying the beach, which we are on our way to a heat wave. So Tony, I'm going to cheers you here, sir. And say thank you for this week's episode. This has been great. I look forward to talking to you again next week, Ransom. All right. For this week's episode of Speakeasy Security, we are signing off. Thank you, everybody.